Okay, everyone's everyone's got one, got a sheet, got a pen. Okay, we're going to jump right into this review real quick. So, last week, again, we are talking about the reality of the Spirit, and particularly your authority in the Spirit. We talked about being a three-part being. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and it lives in a body. I called it flesh on the worksheet. So, it says, use the three choices above to answer the seven questions below. I went with seven, because seven is a holy number, considered by many, and I am the seventh child. I'm the youngest of seven, so I believe there is something special in the number seven. So we're going to use the three above. It says, who you really are and the part of you that is or was redeemed. So what bubble is that? Spirit. It's okay to talk in class today. The spirit. So if you want to write spirit in there, that's fine. Number two, consist of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Soul. Yes, your soul. Moving quickly. Number three, can be viewed as the outer shell or the earth suit. Your flesh. So the first three were really easy. So your spirit. Number two was your soul. Number three was your flesh. Number four, by default, we'll use logic to answer problems based on understanding. Soul. Your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions. Before your flesh does anything, you process it in your mind. Your soul begins to, how does this make me feel? What do I think about this? And then your flesh will act. Five, by default will be led by the soul, but also wants desires to be met. Flesh. When you are hungry, what do you do? You eat. If you are cold, you ask one of the pastors to turn the AC down. Or like my wife does, she brings the extra jacket because she just said they're going to keep it cold anyway. Six, by default will want to follow the word of God, the leading of the Holy Spirit, and the example of Christ. Your spirit, the real you, by default, wants to do the things of God. It wants to follow. It wants to do. That's where Paul talked about that I, I know I should do. I shouldn't do. I do. It's because that inner battle between his spirit wanting to follow God and then his mind, his will, and emotions controlling his flesh. So that battle that goes in between. See if you catch this one. Number seven, the area by which the enemy comes to attack us to keep us away from God's plan or purpose for our lives. I hear soul, I hear flesh. The area the enemy tries to attack us. Who said all three? Yay, Ms. Walker, all three. The enemy comes to attack all three of them. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to lead into that today. The, the, the message of today is my heart has eyes. We're going to go into that. The enemy tries to attack all three of them. He does not want any part of you connecting with God. True or false? These were my favorite in school. That's sarcasm. I couldn't stand true or false, so I thought I'd give three. My spiritual authority is determined by my actions. I earned it, and therefore I can lose it. True or false? False. false. It was done by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Number two, my fight is not against any one person or people group, but it's against the kingdom of darkness. True. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We talked about that last week. It was, it's against the spiritual darkness, the kingdom of darkness. Three, my faith is power. Just as easy as it can power the truth of God's word, it can power the lies of the enemy. True. True. Your faith can power the things of God. Again, this is a review from last week. And it also, if the enemy feeds you a lie, 
your faith can start to power that lie, and then you will look for ways to where what the enemy is saying, and you will feel like, well, these facts are lining up with what the enemy is saying, so this must be truth, and that's the only way he can defeat you. And again, we'll go on to that later. But he needs your faith to win. He needs to convince you in what he's doing, okay? So good job. You guys can hold on to that. And we're going to jump into tonight's message, My Heart Has Eyes. The song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, is not just a song. It's more than a song. It's in reference to your spirit. We talked about the three-part beings that you are that connects to you, and there's a fly flying around me, so if you see me waving, you can wave back. But I guess he wants to hear the word, too. So... We talked about your authority will still lie in your faith. We're still talking about the authority of the believer, which runs through your spirit, and that spirit of authority is transferred through four main areas. So if you want to write these down, there are four main areas where we're going to discuss where there's your faith lies and your authority lies, and my heart has eyes where the enemy tries to infiltrate and affect these four main areas. Are you ready? Number one, your eyes. Makes sense. Two, your ears. Three, your thoughts. Four is your words. So these are avenues of faith where you can be strengthened in that spirit being. Your eyes, number one. Number two, your ears. Three, your thoughts. Four, your words. And what we're going to start in, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1. So if you'll go to Ephesians chapter 1 in your Bible, on your phones, iPads, whatever you have with you, that's where we're going to start today. Amen. God is good. And all the time. Amen. Is this your first time at New Covenant? Welcome. We're glad that you are here with us this evening. everybody a chance to turn there and as we're talking I will also recap and agree with Pastor Corey's prayer that the Holy Spirit is the one that will do the teaching to you this evening I broadcast on my Facebook to announce about me speaking tonight but I was quick to remind everyone that it's not about me is that it's not that I wanted to announce to everyone not to come and hear me because I'm all this and all all that but because God wants to speak to each and every one of us yeah. He wants to say something to exactly where you're at. Your breakthrough can happen tonight if you connect with the Holy Spirit in whatever area it is. If it's financial breakthrough, it can be a healing breakthrough. It can just be a breakthrough and a redemption for a family member. Whatever it is, your breakthrough can occur right here, right now with your faith, through your faith. Amen. That's where our faith has to lie. So we're going to start Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 15. And the first couple of verses, Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus. And this is actually, if, if we're talking about, in our, our church as a whole, we're talking about self-feeding. If you want to get self-fed about your authority, Ephesians is a great book to read because it talks about the authority that you have 
and Paul speaks highly of the church and things that they were doing right and encouraging them. So that's what the first couple of verses he was explaining to them and reiterating that the finished work of Christ is where our authority stands and where our hope lies is in God's work and what he did through his son. So verse 15, and I'm going to read a King James, Wherefore also after I heard of your faith in the Lord, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So Paul wrote to the church. Uh, here's the key. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being lightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his, of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. And we're going to stop right there and discuss that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Now, last week we, just, we discussed that there are things unseen. We talked about angels, we talked about demonic forces and things of that nature. And just like there are things that are against you, remember I said there are things that are for you. There are things that are working on your side. There are things that, that are there to support you. So the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him is a force that's working for you thing that's working on your side. And I've made this, actually from 17 to 23 has been a prayer that I've made before I start reading God's word, God, that you will open my eyes and I ask for the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation to come so that I can see your word as you intended it to be. That when it was given to Paul, when it was given to be put down, to be written into a form where other people could read it, how did you see it, God? How did you want it to be put down? The spirit of wisdom and revelation. That shouldn't be something that is spooky to us. That shouldn't be something that's scary to us as believers. That there are things working against us, things that are working for us. So this is something that's working for you. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So the eyes of your understanding that you may know is the hope of your calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance and the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which was done in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he's put all things under his feet, gave him be the head of the church, which in his body the fullness of him that fills all in all. So there's so much in there. I'm, going to t I'm not going to go into a lot of that detail, but I want you to realize that he gave us the spirit of wisdom revelation that our eyes of our understanding be enlightened. Mm -hmm. And so this is digging a little bit further into just the physical eyes. Yes, it's very important that when it comes to your authority, that the avenue of your eyes is an avenue where the enemy wants to attack. But there's two sets of eyes that we have. Some people, four sets of eyes. Some people, six sets of eyes. We wear glasses, multiple glasses. Ha ha, thanks for laughing. But you have the eyes of this earth suit, and then you have the eyes of your spirit, your eyes of your heart. And the thing is, when it comes to that, the enemy, what he wants to do is convince you of things that you see are more important or that takes precedence over the things that you know in your heart. He wants you to look at your bank account 
and see the red, and that's all you focus on physically. Your eyes see and take things in. But then he wants you deep in your heart to doubt that God says that I'll take care of you, that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. God cares so much about us. He wants to take care of your needs and also your wants. He wants us to, to see and take things in through this natural, through our, through, our, through our flesh and through our soul, and he wants that to overtake what the Spirit says. So our eyes, we have to be careful in that area. 1 John 2.16 says, All that's in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The enemy only tries to, he tries to attack you first through the things, again, that you can see, what you see. And it's our job as, as believers to guard those areas so that we're not focused on that. If you spend all day listening to news, watching the news, and all you hear is depressing things and how the dead is this much, we don't like these candidates, we like those candidates, you shouldn't trust those people, you shouldn't trust those candidates. Have you ever heard the news, what their teasers are before they go to commercial? And we'll come find, and when we return, we'll tell you how sitting down is bad for you. You're like, what? And when, we, when you come back, we're going to tell you how you should only breathe through your mouth. And you're like, so my nose, I shouldn't even use my nose? Like, they do that to get your attention, but they're particularly trying, to, again, through your eyes. And this is also in conjunction with your ears, what you're hearing. We have to be careful as believers that we are not just letting stuff come into our eyes that we should not be taking in. Now, when we say that, a lot of people, we go, we go to sin, we go to negative things, and the first thing we go to is we talk about pornography because that's a big <laughs> deal. The reason the church talks about it a lot is, one, it's a stronghold. When statistics show, um, the most amount of money that is spent on things related to the pornography world, the pornographic world, those things... The majority of money spent is on the Bible Belt, where the majority of churches are. I didn't make that up. You can go look that up. So there's a reason churches talk about it. But the thing is, our eyes can't be so focused on the negative that we forget the cross. Because the power to defeat any addiction is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But the big thing is that the enemy wants us to focus on these things and compare these things. So not just pornography, when it comes to women, comparing yourself. Mm -hmm. Our social media age that we live in is all about what you can take a picture of and post to the Internet. Look, I just finished 50 squats. <laughs> look, I just worked out. Oh, look at my, my abs I've been working on, taking a picture. And it's this, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And then he tries to twist that and say, well, look at you. When you're scrolling through, because I have friends that work out all the time. I have friends that are CrossFit junkies, aholics. And I'm like, you know you bought a shirt that's too small so that you can show your muscles. And the first thing the enemy wants to say, that's what we call a schmedium. They should, have been, they should have been in a large, but they got a smedium so that they could just, so they could be that. 
and I know because my first year, my freshman year of college, I was that guy because I put on like 25 pounds of just straight muscle because I was not, I always was working out every day with a friend of mine and all my shirts were just getting tight. I was like, you know what? They probably would be tight if I got a smaller shirt. So I was going to class just like, <sighs> for those of you listening online, I've got my chest puffed up and I'm walking around. So I was going to class like this and yep, I got to sit in the back because I need more room because I can't put my arms down because this shirt is going to rip because of my muscles. But it's this, this idea of like comparing ourselves. He constantly wants to do that. In social media, he does that in relationships as well. He wants, us, he wants you to say, well, look at that marriage over there and look what you're dealing with. Look how successful their kids are and look where your kid is. Look what all they've done in their lives, in their careers, and look where you're at. What have you done? tries to compare. He wants us to focus on that. Again, things we see, compare ourselves, put you down, and then he wants to be the one that says, I can't believe you did that. He does that. He will, he'll be the main one saying, well, you can't do this. You, can, you know, just go do whatever you want to. Go, 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 you know, you can go out. I don't care if you're married. You can go out to the bars. You can talk to some people, do some things you want to do, whatever you feel like. You Be a man. Go do it. And then you go do it. And he's like, I can't believe you did that. Oh, my gosh. How would you, why would you go do something like that? I thought you were supposed to be a believer. I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. What would your church friends say? What would Pastor Sam say if he saw you now? And all these thoughts come to our head, comparing us. We have to be careful what our eyes take in. What we're taking in. One thing I used to talk about with the worship team is whenever we came into worship on Sunday morning, whatever happened, I told them, your time in worship on Sunday morning cannot outdo your time of worship throughout the other six days. If the Holy Spirit fell and we led worship for two hours, that should not be the most time you have spent in worship of a culmination of those six days. If, we're, if I said, if we're leaders on the worship team, we're supposed to be leading people into worship, we should be the ones that are spending more worship, time in worship with the presence of God. In our own personal lives, you shouldn't be taking in anything more than you take in the Word of God and time with God and presence with God. And that can be a lot of different things. When me and Olivia talk about the Bible, and you should be talking about the Bible if you have a spouse, if you have a significant other, let the church say Amen. You should be talking about the Bible and the things of God with your significant other, with your family, with your children if you have them. You should be talking about the Bible with them. You should not always talk about negative things or things going on in this world. But when we talk about the Word, we talk about the message that Pastor Sam did on Sunday. We talk about what we heard from Pastor Corey, what Martin was talking about a few weeks ago. That's us interacting with God. When two or more are gathered in my presence, in my name, I am there. So... We are communicating with God. We should talk about the things of God more than we talk about what's going on at work and how this person upsets us and how that teacher friend is this close to getting pushed off a cliff. No, I'm just kidding. But those, the things that we, that we communicate about, it should be a healthy balance. You can be addicted to a lot of things. You can be addicted to working out. I've seen it. Work out all the time. You can be addicted to being healthy. It goes to a point where people call it, where it's anorexia, where you're concerned so much about what you eat and how you look that you don't even eat. You're not taking care of yourself. You can be addicted to the act of 
serving. Well, what do you mean? When you're doing stuff so much that you believe it's you that's making things happen. You see that all the time in church with pastors having burnout because they're work, 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 work. They're working themselves constantly until they get just emotionally, spiritually worn down because they've stepped out of the spirit and God's calling and now they've stepped into their flesh and they're doing works. TV, video games, we can keep going on and on and on of things that you can be addicted to. But there has to be a balance between your time and presence with God. Am I saying those things are bad? No. Working out is not bad. Watching TV is not bad. But it, come, but it comes a time where it exceeds just, I'm resting, I'm just enjoying this time with my wife watching TV to where it's binge watching and you've watched eight seasons of, all eight seasons of Lost and you're trying to get to season 10 and you start it Saturday morning and, <laughs> and it's Saturday evening and you, you've neglected everything, you haven't eaten and you just, just we can't stop, we can't stop. I got to go to the bathroom, it doesn't matter, we got to hold it through this episode. There, there comes a time, <laughs> children of God, where there's a balance that we have to have, amen? Okay, moving on. Point, so that was point number one, your eyes. Your ears can be joined in with that, what you're hearing. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. Or the Amplified says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Again, my hearts have, have eyes. Guess what? Your spirit, your physical ears. Again, you have two sets. You have your physical ears and then your spirit. What you allow to be received into your spirit. Usually, when it comes to the things of our spirit, those can be received from, they're easier received from people close to us. For instance, my brother, who is, like I said, I'm one of seven, uh, one of my brothers told me when I was little, that I needed to go to sleep before 11 o'clock. My bedtime was, I think, 8 o'clock because I was maybe 5 or 6 years old. Because at 11 o'clock, he turned into a zombie. And I didn't need to be around him when he turned into a zombie. Yes, Ryan Sims, I'm talking about you. Because I'm going to give him the link so he's going to hear this. Um, So, as a young kid... That quickly went past my physical ears, and it went into my spirit and began this fear. And this fear made me not go to sleep every night until 11 o'clock. And at 11 o'clock, this is what he would do as a zombie, so don't laugh. He would come in to the, and I'm just going to turn away because i got to lift up my shirt, and he would put his shirt over his head, and he would come in like this. And I would scream and holler. Mom didn't know about this. He was, I was screaming out, Ryan, stop. Ryan, you're, you're being funny. You're being funny. Okay, stop. And he'd just get closer and closer to my bed. I'm like, stop, stop, stop. And I started, until I started crying. And then he would quickly flip on the light and then pull off his shirt. He said, Raj, what's going on? What happened? You turned to a zombie. You just got to get me. And I didn't know what to do. And I said, Ryan, stop. Because I don't know if you're going to get me. And what you going to do? He said, I told you you need to be asleep. And guess what? This happened for like weeks. 
of just not going to bed, and I would do anything possible to try and go to sleep. And that's, and that's a funny story, but guess what? The enemy wanted to use that for me to be in fear. Fear of what? Fear of what's happening to my brother that he's turned to a zombie, but also fear. Guess what? I started not looking forward to going to sleep. I started not looking forward to as a kid that when the lights went out, that there was my countdown starting, that I was in bed, and now I've got to get to sleep. That was fear trying to come and say, well, now look, when, you, when the lights go out, your zombies might come get you. The boogeyman might come get you. And that sounds silly, but the kids, that's their world. But let's, let's, go, let's bring it up to where we are now. So... They say different things across the Internet or across the news, and they say stuff like, well, you know what? When you get old, you're not going to have anything to lean on. You're not going to have Social Security. You're not going to have all this stuff. What are you going to do? Do you have enough money to live off of when you retire? Fear then starts to trying to control you because that's what fear does. Fear is not something that wants to make you afraid of zombies. Fear wants to dictate everything in your life to where you are moved with the thought, I have got to stop this thing from happening. But what you're doing is you're focusing. It would be like if I'm saying, I'm trying to get away from this stand, but i got to get away from the stand. i got to stay as far away from the stand as I possibly can. What am I? I'm still focusing on the stand. My attention is still there. Even though I could run all the way there, I'd be looking over my shoulder. Is that stand still there? So guess what? My focus and attention was on this instead of where I'm going and where God is leading me. Fear wants to control you so that instead of doing what God has you to do, instead of God saying, you know what? That person that, you, that randomly came and talked to your church and told you about, they didn't know how they were going to pay their rent that month, instead of you having, okay, God, I know I have the money. I can bless them. Guess what fear says? No, you remember, you got those bills that you're still, you don't know if you can take care of yourself. How are you going to do that? That's fear trying to constrict you, trying to control you, trying to keep you from doing something. Well, well, God, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I should pray over them because, you know, they, don't, they may not receive it the right way. They may think I'm weird because I don't really know them, or, or they're a pastor, so I really can't speak into their lives because they're spiritually, you know, oh, you know they're spiritually over us, but they know, they know so much more of God. God, they're so close to you, they don't need a word from me. Fear. Fear. I wrote this down, and I'm not sure why it's in my notes. Oh, okay, there it is. Bam. One thing, again, our eyes and our ears. One thing that I've, what I've always heard, and this is, again, getting back to that comparison of where we're spending our time and what, we, what are we spending our time hearing, where are we spending our time seeing, that balance that we have. One thing I've always heard, and I've had, most of us either have friends or we do have friends that drink beer, drink wine, drink alcohol. Let me say on that, that does not make you less of a Christian. If you, Jesus had a glass of wine back in his day, that does not make you a heathen. It's the balance. And, Pastor, if I say anything out of line, please feel free, Pastor Corey, please feel free to correct me or anything like that. But it's that 
line that can be crossed where, again, that thing can control you. But when my friends that I've either gone out to eat with other admissions counselors or coworkers, whenever I've asked them, well, how does that taste? How does this taste? You know what they say? Oh, it's an acquired taste. You're not going to like it. I've heard every, and you're laughing because you probably have heard someone explain it. It's an acquired taste. I didn't like it at first. I just kept drinking it until I liked it. Really? It's an acquired taste. So, Lord started speaking to me, well, what are you acquiring the taste for in your life? Are you acquiring the taste? I've heard people say, when I read the Bible, it just means it's hard for me to focus. Have you acquired a taste for reading the Bible? You know, I hear one song in worship, and I'm good. We don't need no more than that. Well, maybe you haven't acquired a taste for worship, for the presence of God. The other analogy we all know of, if you go work out for the very first time, guess what? It's going to be really hard. You're going to be sore the next day. You're probably not going to want to go do it again. But guess what? You build that muscle over time, and guess what? You get stronger. You're squatting more. You're lifting more. You're going, you may start off, and you can't run even down the stairs. And then after a while, you're running a mile, then two miles. Then you're signed up for half marathons and marathons. And now you're trying to get your friends to go do marathons with you because you just have built up this endurance. Why? Because you started somewhere. Are we acquiring the taste for the things of God? Are we spending enough time with God's presence so much until we just enjoy it? Are we spending enough time reading his word until you just enjoy, you thirst for the word, you just want to hear more, you want to listen to other preachers, even if you don't agree, you want to hear what they're saying so you can talk and discuss and, and talk it over with the Lord? Because if people in the world, and I've heard that multiple times, if people in the world will say it's an acquired taste, but they took the time necessary to acquire that taste for alcohol, drinks, and things like that, then why, as believers, should we not acquire the taste for the things of God? That was in my notes. So that's something extra. You tell your neighbor that's something extra. <laughs> Point three, thoughts or the mind? 2 Corinthians 10.5, take every thought captive. Take captive every thought. Because like I was saying earlier, about fear. So fear, the reason, this is how you take every thought captive. This is what happens. You're faced with a situation in your life, and I remember I said your faith is an invitation for someone, either the enemy or God. But you're faced with a situation, and the enemy comes and says, well, you're fearful of your finances. You're not going to have enough money. But what fear does, and this is about our thoughts, this is how you take every thought captive. You have to stop the thought, whether you speak it out loud or you go to the Word. This is why you have to take the thought captive, because that's an analogy, because that thought of fear does not just want to stay in your finances. Then fear wants to jump over here into your health and say, well, you don't have enough money to take care of your house. You don't have enough money to take care of your family. You're not a good person. Person. You're not a good man of God. You're not a good husband. You're not a good woman of faith. 
and then he wants to jump over here to your career. Well, you know, you're not very successful either, because guess what? If you, had, if you were very successful in your career, if you had been dumb in these decisions and dumb in the past and put money in this and trust in that, then you would have the money over here to take care of your family, and then you have money over here to take care of your kids and be healthy, but guess what? That's because you're unsuccessful as a person. You're just a waste of, of time, waste of God's presence, waste of his energy. And then he wants to keep going. That fear wants to jump. And I use fear because that's the biggest one that we, we deal with. It's, it's, again, it's the overall theme is God says, I have these great blessings and things planned for you. And then he says, don't listen to him. He's lying to you. That's what it's all about. He wants, the enemy wants you to doubt what God has done for you and the thing God has planned over you. That's the big, as good versus evil, as plain as, as it can be. But fear wants to jump, and that's why you have to take it captive because it will, ex- it will try to extend into other areas of your life. Take any, any situation you think about, whatever it is, it doesn't want to just stay in that one area. So you have to rein it in, take it captive, and the, and the best way to feed it is with the Word of God. Amen. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice. You present your bodies wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, so the least that you can do. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we talked about the three parts, your spirit, your soul, and your mind. Your spirit was the one that was redeemed. The other two have to learn to get in line. Your mind has to be renewed. Camera's not here, so I can't make this... Um, cartoon analogy, but there's this cartoon called Dragon Ball Z, and we're really nerds about it, but there comes a point in the time where the main character gets transformed and everything changes. He's, he's so much stronger, he becomes a Super Saiyan. Um, or if you, maybe you've seen The Matrix. If you haven't, there's a lot of spiritual analogies there. We can do a sermon off The Matrix, but in the end where the main character becomes the one, the chosen one, and he's transformed. And everything he does is just completely different. But when we got redeemed, guess what? Your spirit was made new. But did anybody grow taller? Did anybody, like, all of a sudden get ripped or or just like, man, my hair's so much longer than it was. My nails are, are longer than they were. No. Your spirit was redeemed. Your mind has to be renewed by the Word of God. Your thoughts have to be renewed to where the first thing you think about is not negative. Maybe you've been trained that way. Maybe because you had parents that were very, very strict on everything and and something was never good enough for them. So therefore, your first thought is to go, well, man, I didn't do a good enough job. I didn't. I should have. I know. Everyone said, good job, good job. You're like, no, I could have done that. So there's this negative mindset. Guess what? That's a mindset not of the things of God because if you go talk to God, he's going to tell you great things. He's going to tell you, no, you're more than a conqueror. Amen. No, I believe you. I trust you. I sent my son for you. I would send him just for you if you were the only person on the planet because I love you. Even when you were dead in sin, I loved you. Amen. He's only going to say good things about you. So I heard um, to use uh, what, um, what's the podcast we listen to? Jimmy Evans. Jimmy Evans. <coughs> Thank you, dear. What he said about when he and his wife are in a disagreement, he goes and talks to the Lord about it. He says, I'm, I'm going to deal with you with a God. I'm going to take you to God. You know why? Because he loves her more than I do. 
So when we're in disagreement and I go complain to God, I say, well, God, you saw where she leaves her shoes always in the door as soon as she comes in. And he said, know what he says? Well, don't you just love how cute her feet are? Look how small they are. Just how petite they are. Well, God, I almost tripped over them. Well, why didn't you look where you were walking? Well, you know, Lord, sometimes I'm just really tired when I get home and I just, well, she didn't really mean it. She did, she was not, she did not strategically place her shoes there for you to fall and hurt, right? Yeah, you're, you're right. She, and doesn't she, she cleans up everywhere else. She keeps the house clean. She's constantly doing it. And he, he just, uh, just covers my thoughts and my mind with good things about her. So when I go from spending time with the source, the one who loves her the most, and he only says good things, guess what? When I come back to her, guess what? The only thing that I can come is just love because that's the only thing I've gotten from him. I don't go to complain and he says, yeah, you're right. I messed up. I'm sorry. My bad. I should have made her not want to take her shoes off. I say that because that was the first thing we fought about in our marriage because she just kicks the shoes off right in the middle of the door. And I came in, and I almost busted my head <laughs> tripping off the shoes. I took one of her shoes, and I punted it as far as I could, which was not very far because they were house shoes, so they don't really fly. And she was just sitting on the bed. Dear, are you okay? Yes. I'm fine. Love you. Love you, too. <laughs> so, but our thoughts, our thoughts, what we're thinking about. Pastor Corey said this many times. Think about what you're thinking about. You've probably heard ministers say that. What are you thinking about? Where are your thoughts at? Where are they going? Proverbs 23, 7 says, Whatsoever a man, as a man thinketh, so is he. Do you know this is is just a, a little side message? Do you know that and this is going right into words, but your words have the ability to help change people's thoughts. You carry that much authority in you. I had a, had a student call me, because you don't know I work at UT Tyler, I'm an advisor now for College of Business, and I had a student call, had an incident where he disagreed with a department chair, and he thought the department chair was being a jerk towards him, and should have done all these different things, and that was a side story for the real issue he called is because he didn't turn in a document that was needed, he was going to lose his scholarship. He said, I may have to pay the scholarship back. I was like, well, how much is the scholarship? He said, well, $1,500. I was like, whoa. But he's like, but I'm just so mad right now with school, I don't even care. I'll just pay it back. I can work hard and pay it back. I was like, wait, first of all, how come you didn't call me? Because you have a friend who works at a college and can help you out because we can file an appeal and we can get that rescinded, that, get that taken care of. The student called me at 9 o'clock and he was, I said, you know what? We're going to do this and guess what? God has got you. God is going to work everything out. Because I said, Lord, what do you want me to say to him? What do you want me to encourage him with? He just tell him I'm going to work everything out. I said, God, that's so cliche. I want to give some word and revelation that fire to fall down when I speak to him. <laughs> I said, tell him. <laughs> I know. He said, tell him. I'm going to work everything out. I said, okay. Well, I said, God's going to work everything out. He said, well, I hope so. I said, no, you know so. I said, don't allow your, your words to go there. Say, you know that God's going to work everything out. 
I said, say it, repeat after me. He said, I know God's going to work everything out. This is at 9 o'clock. He said, okay, well, I got to finish some homework and go to bed. I said, okay, let me know. We'll talk tomorrow, and we'll figure out how to go through this appeals process, who we need to get the paperwork to, to the appeals committee. We'll see what happens. So we already started moving in a direction. So in the natural, his words try to go negative. We stopped him. He changed his words, his faith, because, again, how much faith does God need? Mustard seed. seed. If you were here last week, you got a mustard seed. We have extra if you want to get one. All he needs is a mustard mustard seed. So when he got that mustard seed, God started to move, and we didn't even know it. Because the next day, he got an email from somebody... (laughs) in our enrollment services at 10 o'clock at night. Who's sending emails at 10 o'clock at night? Anybody here sending work emails at 10 o'clock at night? No. We had talked at 9. He started to doubt just a little bit. We changed his words. God started to move. 10 o'clock, got an email. that said, so-and-so and so, we did not receive your letter of appreciation to, to clarify your scholarship. You have an extension until October 7 to get this letter in or else your scholarship will be rescinded and you will owe this amount of money. He called me excited. He's like, what do I do? I said, you go turn the letter in. That's what you go do. He's like, wait, so do we have to do the appeal process? I said, no, we don't have to appeal anything because God opened the door and he said, you were planning to do this other plan. But guess what? When I just got a little bit of faith, all he did was change his words and he didn't say it. He didn't say it strong. He didn't say, I believe God is going to work everything out. He said, I believe God is going to work everything out. He just repeated after me. He literally was going through the motions. And guess what? God still didn't care. God used that faith, and he began to work a plan out in the way that he intended it to be. And I told him, I said, you know what the thing is? God works things out. It may not be the way we see it going or it may not be in, his, in our timing, but he's going to work it out if you just trust him. I said, you can't give up. I said, the only way you're going to lose is if you give up. Like I said last week, it's like you have the best hand in poker every time the cards are dealt. You have the best hand. In your financial situation, you have the best hand dealt to you. You have the king of kings and the lord of lords working on your side. In your health situation, you have the best hand. Ms. Edith, you have the best hand on your side when it comes to anything health-related. You will always win anything you face unless you give up, unless you fold. That's the only way you can lose. So that little bit of faith, God made a way, turned his letter, he doesn't have to worry about paying that money back. I said, God's not, I said, that's not God's plan for your life. That's not what God intended. And then the sermon came the next day. I said, God does not intend for us to owe money. It says that we will lend and not borrow. God did not plan for you to lose $1,500 and have to give that back. That is not God's plan. So that little bit of faith, God began to move. In any, in any of your situation, whatever it is, God is just needs that little bit of mustard seed faith to start moving. You can change that situation tonight with your mustard seed of faith. That's all he needs. That's how, it is literally like the analogy of someone waiting at the starting line to take off in a race. 
That's why they have false starts. Why? Because they're ready. They're just they're ready for that, that the gun to go off and they're ready to jump. That's how God is. He's just ready. He's like, I'm ready to jump in your situation. I'm, I'm ready. Tag is like watching wrestling. Tag me in if you watch wrestling, which my big mama, rest in peace, that's what she loved. That's my dad's mom. She loved wrestling. And if don't try to tell her it's fake because she'd be ready to fight you. Actually, my brother tells a story of when he walked by and she was watching. He's like, you know, that's fake, right? And as he headed to the kitchen, he said he just heard her looking. He said, I felt her stare as I went around the wall into the kitchen. And I came back and she was just, and my big mom would just, she was sitting in her rocking chair and watch wrestling. She, she looked next and said, what did you just say? And he realized what he had done and what was about to happen. He said, nothing. I didn't say anything. <laughs> Who's wrestling? And he just changed the subject right then. But it's just like that God is just ready to jump in your situation. He wants to be a part so much. He does not want to be on the sidelines. He is ready to jump in. He needs you to tag him in. He needs your faith. That's what gets him in. Amen. So, Romans 8. Go there. We'll read this. And then I'm just going to have a few questions, and then we will be wrapping up tonight. <coughs> Romans 8, starting verse 31. Now, the section of Scripture I'm about to read is part of the daily Bible study that me and my siblings had to do every morning before we had to go to school. We had to read Psalms 23, Psalms 91, this section of Scripture, and we had a confession that our dad wrote for us to declare every day before we went to school. So Romans 8, verse 31. If you're there, say amen. amen. It says, what shall we say then to these things? And you can go back and read the other verses to, to see that part, what they were talking about, what Paul was talking about. If God is for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how then will he not freely give us all things? I say that in a prayer. When it comes to things that are faced in front of me, say, so God, your word says that you gave me the best that you have. There was nothing greater you could have gave me than your firstborn. So if you gave me the very best that you could possibly have, then I know you're taking care of this situation. I know you're taking care of my finances. I know you're taking care of my health. I know you're taking care of the direction where, where you're leading me. I know that I'm going to be successful because of that. Because of that, just one scripture. I can stop right there and we can be done. But we're not going to stop. But he spared not his own son. What then will come against God's elect? It's God that justifies. It is Who is he that condemns? Christ died and is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us, and that will be what we fit. we'll talk up next week, talk about seated in heavenly places. Verse 35 said, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation or distress? persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword 
as it is written, for your sake is we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for slaughter. That's what the Old Testament says. But then after Jesus came and redeemed us through his blood and through his life, verse 37, now it says we know, that's what it used to say, but now in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You are more than a conqueror. The Bible that I read from last week that has the direct translation without adding any context, any syntax to make it sound good, that Bible says, it says we more than overcome. We more than overcome. The analogy with school is that C average, a C is passing. You are more than a C student. You are above average. There's the plug for Sundays, above average. You are more than conquerors. You more than overcome. God did not intend for you to just slide by. And I said this on a Wednesday when I spoke several months ago. If that's where you feel like, that's not where God intended you to be. That may be where you're at right now, but God does not intend for you to stay there. That's not his plan for you. That is not the best that he has. For I am persuaded, I am thoroughly convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers, these are all things that we cannot see, all these things, nor things present, so things that are currently right now or things to come, your future. Nor height nor depth nor any creature will be able to separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a declaration you can start to say over yourself over your children, no matter how old they are or if they're not born yet. I've started declaring things over my children that are going to come. God, I thank you that nothing can separate them from your love. God, I thank you that your word says that my seed will be mighty upon the earth. God, I thank you that they are above and not beneath. They are the head and not the tail. They are blessed when they leave, blessed when they come back, and blessed in everything that they do. Everything they put their hands to are blessed. And no, we're not expecting. So that was not a time for me to make an announcement. Don't come up to me and just say, Lord, Roger, I heard a word from God that no, you did not. That's not what you heard. You need to take to the Lord first. So, But our words are powerful. They can do that. And then to finish up, just another scripture of and Philemon, I don't know if I said that right, but 1 verse 6, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. The sharing of your faith. We should share about the great things that God is doing in our lives. Amen? Our lives should, should just radiate God's goodness. Another scripture says that the goodness of God draws men to repentance. His goodness. His goodness. His goodness. Amen? Amen. And the last thing I'll tell you, another story, last story I'll, I'll finish up with this. Um, sharing, I was at a, at a high school a couple weeks ago, and a student came up to me, and it was a private conversation, so she was just sharing about how she's very artistic, she loves to draw, but she says, everyone makes fun of me because the things that I see or when I see things from whatever everyone talks about, I see it from a different perspective. So when I draw, I don't just draw what everyone else sees. I draw it from the different perspective that I see. I said, first of all, that's not anything to be made fun of. That's a gift. And again, it was a private conversation, so if a student comes up to me to ask any question, I feel like I have 
the right and authority to give them any answer. And if it involves God and I lose my job, then I lose my job. But, but I said that is a gift that God has given you, that you are able to draw things and do really well because I can't draw. If I draw, it's going to be a stick figure. It's going to be little fingers sticking out of the arm. There's going to be no hand, no little palm. But she was showing me her drawings, and she had all these different things that she, that, that in their art class, it'd be like an apple that was, and it's hard to explain, it'd be like an apple that was sitting on a stool, and the way she drew it was just completely different than any other perspective that was used. And I'll use this as a side note to say that you can make an impact in the people's lives that are around you, that where you're at, God has you specifically there for a reason and purpose. And you will find that people will be drawn to you, and you don't know why, and you'll find yourselves in moments and situations where you have an opportunity to shed God's love and his light upon people and in any situation there are. That's a ministry. There's a scripture that talks about the ministry of reconciliation that we've all been given, the ministry of bringing people back to him, to pointing people to the cross, to God, believers, non-believers, whoever, you have that ministry of directing them to God's goodness. And so I said, that's a, first of all, that's a God-given gift that you have. So don't let people make fun of you and tell you that you're weird and all this other stuff. Because first of all, she was like, well, guys, make fun of me. I said, well, first of all, we're, we're, we're weird. I said, guys, we're a little bit slow. We don't quite get it right now. I said, because the same thing they're making fun of you now is the very thing when you're in college, they're going to be trying to propose to you and say, oh, my gosh, you're just so amazing and beautiful. I said, so don't worry about that, guys. I said, well, guys are slow, so don't worry about that. I said, but you've been given a gift that can be used to reach other people, to show. I said, because that, I said, to be able to do that, it's not just something that you wake up and all of a sudden you learn how to do. That's not something I said, that's not something anyone can teach you how to do. So then we started talking about college and different ideas and what she may want to do. And of course, being the businessman and being a biased opinion that I have, I was like, you need to major in something in business because you've already got talent. No one can teach you that. So do something in business. So we started talking again about all the different options that are available. But the thing was, is that the words I said change her thoughts and opinions about a gift that she had been given. Something that she was doing all the time, something that she was doing normally, but thought she was weird and thought that she's strange because of that. Just by saying that's a gift, just by saying that's, that's amazing, that's so much talent, that changed her idea of how she saw herself. We have that power. Your words carry that power. It may not be over everyone. It may not be over a ton of people. It may be one person. It may be one family member. It may be one friend that you have that that person looks up to you. But guess what? Your words carry the weight to be able to change their thoughts, change how they see themselves, change what they hear, the negative things about themselves, and then they begin to hear what God says about them through you. Amen? Amen. So I know that was, that was related to your authority. That's what it was. It was related to the authority we have as believers. We carry that authority. We carry that weight. So, in conclusion, some questions. So we talked about four points, four areas that your authority lies and where 
you need to be strengthened and where your authority can, can be hindered by the things of this world, where it can be strengthened by the things of God. Your eyes, your ears, your thoughts, or your words. So a question to think about is what avenue do you feel like you have the most clutter in? These are things that you can sit and do, you can sit and talk about with your significant other, with family members, just to discuss God's word. What avenue, whether it be your eyes, your ears, your thoughts, or your, or your words, what avenue do you feel like is cluttered with other stuff instead of with what God says? And two, the follow-up to that is how can you change or modify that? What are things that you can do? Like I used the example at the beginning about the worship team. I would not let Sunday morning be the most time I spend in worship. If it meant I worship on the way to work, on the way home, I bought this cool little waterproof speaker so I can put it in my shower and play worship music while I'm in the shower. They sell them at Gordon's. You can go get them. They're not very expensive. But it Bluetooth to my phone, and I do worship in the shower. Why? Because when I was younger, I used to sit in the shower and rethink my whole day and be my worst critic. You said that, nobody laughed. You, you sat by the wrong person in class. You should have sat at that lunch table, not this lunch table. Everybody wanted to sit at my lunch table, but just the thoughts. Again, try to be critique myself. And last question, is your time spent, is it acquiring the taste of this world or acquiring the taste of the things of God? Your time acquiring the taste. Are you? Is your time spent acquiring the taste of this world? Or is your time spent acquiring the taste for the things of God? Because right now, I heard the enemy say to some people, well, "You don't have enough time." I did the math for you guys: 169 hours total each week. You minus 54 work week. Let's say you have 50 hour work week, leaves you with 119 hours. If you get eight hours of sleep a night, God bless you. I don't know how you do it. But if you get eight hours of sleep a night, you're left with 63 hours. If you work out 12, two hours a day for six days, you're left with 51 hours. So again, we've included 169 hours, what we started with. We took out a work week, we took out sleep. We've taken out time spent working out. Then minus four hours spent coming to church a week. That was just two hours for Wednesday night, two hours for Sunday. You are left with 47 hours. 47 hours. Again, that's if all those things don't happen accordingly to how I plan it out. Because I know right now, and my mom reminds me, and another friend from church reminds me, that, that 12 hours of working out, that two hours a day, I don't do that. So I have 59 hours left in the week. But 47 hours, what are you spent time acquiring the taste for? Where are you spent time? Are you allowing your eyes, your ears, and your thoughts to, and your words, do they go along with things of this world or do they go along with what God's authority says about you? Everybody close your eyes and let's pray.
Father, we love you, and we thank you so much. Thank you for being a loving dad who wants nothing more than to see his children walk in the authority that he intended for them to walk in through the precious blood of his son, Jesus. And God, right now, I just rebuke spirit of condemnation right now. God, that is not of you. I speak against that spirit that wants to make us believe that we are failing and that we are not doing what we're supposed to do. Therefore, we are bad Christians and we are just never going to get it. God, I rebuke the lies of the enemy right now in Jesus' name. God, I declare, Father, I declare your truth will be the loudest thing that we hear, Father God. It will be the, the quickest thing we receive into our spirits, Father, so that we may walk in the fullness that you intended us to walk in, God. I just feel that. I just feel the the lies trying to pour into people's minds about what you're not doing, what you can't do. God, I thank you that all things are possible to him who believes, God. God, your word says resist the devil and he must flee. It's not an option for him. He doesn't get to decide. He doesn't have any power. God, I thank you that he is defeated in Jesus' name. God, I thank you that you place all authority in heaven and earth. You received that and then you handed it to us. God, so that we can walk in that fullness and that we can shed your light and show your truth to others, Father. God, whatever area that, that we're facing as, as, as men and women of God, Right now, I thank you, Lord, that you are making, that you've made a way, Father God, that you've intended for freedom, freedom financially, freedom for health, wholeness, God, freedom from, from depression, freedom from confusion, freedom from lies. God, your finished work paid for our freedom, and we just have to receive it, God. We receive your freedom. Every area of our lives, God, we receive it now, God. We receive it right now. God, I thank you, Lord, that that everyone's that the eyes of their understanding will be enlightened, God. God, that the channels will be clear from you to them. I thank you, Lord, for a word this week for each and every person, God. A word right now, God, that will just bring forth breakthrough and bring forth freedom right now into their lives, God. I thank you, Father God, that where the enemy had a plan for evil, God, I thank you that your word says that you make everything work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose, God. The other translation says you make everything to put us in advantageous situations, God, to where the situation is for our advantage even though it looks negative, God.